Blog Talk Radio. No, no, stay on the air, because right now we just started the show. Whether you like, yeah, we just started the show. This is the Donaldson Files with Tom Donaldson. Uh, we got Coco on the line. And, yeah, stick around for a while, Larry. You can, uh, we got, there are a few things we can talk about uh, since you're here. <laughs> unless you got nuts, unless you got something very important to do. Well, um, I, I can stay on for a few minutes, yes. Um, I've, yeah. got, I've got uh, Dave Rare for tomorrow. Okay. Well, Talking I'm about taxes. For, okay, good. Well, like I say, we'll, like I said, I'm still looking for, I'm still waiting for a couple of people to talk to for tomorrow night's show, so we're still waiting. But uh, for those people who want to know, this is the Donaldson Files. I'm Tom Donaldson. I'm the chairman of America's PAC. I am also the project director for America's Majority Foundation. I am somewhere in secret hiding in Kansas City, Missouri. I should say in in Overland Park, Kansas, right side of Kansas City, Missouri, uh, at a detail which I I cannot de- you know, I cannot disclose. Hey, Coco, how about you? Why don't you tell everybody about? Hey yourself? guys, what's what's going on? Uh, my name's Coco. I live and work in beautiful Burbank, California, um, and I try to be on the show as much as possible. I had kind of a really crappy month of health issue-wise, shocking, but I actually figured out what was wrong with me, So, and I really haven't been sick since, um, no. so that's the good news. All right. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do here, because uh, I thought what we, we we got a lot to, you know, we're going to have a few things to cover, and basically it's one of these shows where, uh, you know, I have absolutely, you know, this is one of those things where things keep popping up uh, on the news cycle, so I thought we'd cover as much as we can, uh, ask people what everybody has thought. But uh, there's a couple of things that really struck my mind here, and let me just, uh, and here's the first thing I'm going to ask both of you, all right? This was a conversation we had last week, I uh, had with the Swamp Girl, uh, Pam, our good friend out of uh, South Carolina. She joined the show halfway through and, you know, basically try to be Coco, but it actually, by the way, uh, Coco, she did try to be you because she basically challenged me on everything. She said, I've got to fulfill the role of Coco. So I need to oh, challenge gosh. you on what you do. <laughs> There's <laughs> only one Coco. There's that, only that's one Coco. true, Larry. There is only one Coco. That's right. Yeah. But uh, real yeah. quick, I, I want to talk about what happened to me. Um, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, so you know how like I always would get sick and I never fully understood what was going on. Um, so a couple like about a month ago, I got an allergy test and it came back positive for uh, gluten intolerance. Uh, not gluten intolerance, sorry, dairy intolerance. And really? it came back so like yeah, I am like highly allergic to dairy. 
and this explains so much. I mean, if the, I, I'm so allergic to dairy. Like, um, my, my, it was my dad's 85th birthday, and we all went out to dinner uh, a couple nights ago. And I had ordered like mashed potatoes, and I'm I would like I've made mashed potatoes at home, but I never use butter. And then it didn't occur to me like, oh, they actually use butter on mashed potatoes when you go out. And I had such a horrible reaction. I started getting welts all over my skin, um, because of because it had dairy. I mean, I am so highly allergic to it, and I had no idea. I thought it was gluten that I was allergic to, and it turns out. Nope, it's just the dairy. <laughs> so mm. I basically, I'm a person that loves cheese and that loves basically all dairy products. And I had to do a lot of soul searching and find like, you know, I, I literally can never have cheese again. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks, Larry. It's it's not it's not fun. <laughs> well, what is included now in 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 your in your allergy of the dairy products? Um. Well. I start I start getting scratches like they I have like these marks that appear on me. Yeah. And my stomach is like in so much pain. Like it feels like I got hit in the stomach. But I kept thinking, you know, it maybe was the gluten and then, you know, it turns yeah. out like I'm actually not allergic to gluten. I'm just highly allergic to all dairy products. Yeah, but I got that. And but the, what are the what are the dairy products specifically that that you're uh, that you're allergic to, I mean milk and um, ice every, cream and what else? Yeah, yeah, every anything that contains dairy, any little hint of it. So it's like milk, ice cream, um, cheese, um, you know, whatever cheese. there is that that contains oh, anything that contains milk. I literally cannot have, but I I ended up finding some cool like replacements that I was happy with. But I mean, I was sick for like years, not knowing. Like I would feel, I would feel so sick, like at least four or five times a week, and since mm. basically I had to go dairy free the last three weeks, like I haven't had like anything wrong happen. So I'm gonna assume that that's what it was. <laughs> but I don't know, Tom, Tom. I don't think you could live without dairy, correct? <laughs> well, you know, actually, yeah. I, I'm gonna be honest because basically I have coffee, I have dairy in my coffee every time. And I have coffee well, so I started doing that, and said I start using I used oat milk because it's 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 like a real heavy, heavy, creamy like almost milk, and um, I just gotten so used to it that now when I drink it, I'm just like, oh, it actually tastes good. <laughs> but you know, it's it's kind of life changing, man. Like you go from like I'm I'm basically I'm at to the point now where I'm like I'm ninety percent vegan. And then the other 10%, it's like I eat fish. So I'm more pescatarian now than anything. But, man, that was just like kind of an eye-opener. So if you feel like, you know, you can't function and, like, you know, you don't know what's wrong, like you need to take an allergy test. I totally recommend it because, I mean, I should have done this years ago. Well, years ago, I'm just surprised it took you. I have to be surprised that it took them this long to actually start doing this with you. Because I can never Yeah, I, I know. Because it's when well, I was. It, it, yeah. Oh, go on. Yeah. I, yeah. The only thing, because I did, a bit, I have to say, my early 20s, I did get an allergy test. Actually, the, the most peculiar thing was 
you know, I used to call on, I was in the pharma, it was my pharmaceutical days beginning, it was, and I was calling on these pediatriologists, and, you know, one day I got that guy, I got this issue, I got this, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, I said, yeah, I've been having the really stuffy nose. And so the guy, right. you know, so this guy, guy said, hey, let's just come on in and we'll give you some tests, just curiosity. And it turns out that one of the things I had, I had a, interesting, I had some kind of, you know, allergy, most of which I could control. It wasn't like, I was like in your case, it was more of a stuffy nose, which, you know, some antihistamine and that stuff took care of. Uh, but one of the right. things they found is corn dust. And, you know, oh. I had lived on the East Coast and I've been, you know, and I had moved to the Midwest where every, where, you know, basically it's, you know, it's, you know, corn everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, corn and all, you know, and, and all kinds of dust. And so, and that was part of my issue. So basically, they put me on some antihistamine. They found out what it was, and I've lived with it. And I still eat corn. <laughs> well, I mean, the, fun, yeah. the thing the thing is, the thing is, you know, I I, I had no idea how sick I was because I remember I was like two weeks dairy free, and then I had ordered those mashed potatoes. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I felt like someone literally just punched me in the stomach repeatedly. It was like. You know what? I I will gladly take my vegan cheese over, you know, having incredible pain in my stomach. I will gladly do that because <laughs> it's to me it's not worth it. Like I'm not I'm not gonna. It's basically it's basically I was poisoning myself. Yeah. It's like a poison, and it's just mm-hmm. it's awful. But you know, um, I'm just really happy I actually found a solution. So uh, no more sick days, I guess. Huh. Well, at least you didn't give. Get, you're not allergic to what I was allergic. To. I was not allergic to anything except hops, and oh. that's, that's what beer is made out of. So. <laughs> well, I, I actually I I can't drink beer because of uh, a lot of um, I yeah I don't I don't drink I don't drink beer. Never been I've never drank beer before. I, I'm not a fan of it. It's like. I, I I actually went out to uh, first time in a really long time. I went outdoors to eat outdoors or whatever, and I ended up having a drink. This is hilarious. Called the penicillin, um, <laughs> and it was good. Like I I like hard liquor. I won't drink beer or anything light because it's weird. Because if not, I'm allergic. Like I start getting hives if I drink beer, and anything that's like not really 100% hard alcohol. So in order for me to actually want to go out to drink, like I have to drink the hard stuff because that's the one thing that doesn't make me allergic. <laughs> so I'm, well, I'm that's, always, I'm that's always, not all bad. Larry, I'm always the, I'm always the girl that's ordering a Manhattan rye. So you know, that that's my go-to drink now. <laughs> well, it could be that that part could be worse. Yeah. Well, hold on that thought. This time, Dante Coco Konski. Uh, uh, Dr. Larry, we're just here shooting the bull for a while. We'll get in a few things. Uh, but I, I got one question I'm going to ask the both of you afterwards. Well, obviously, Coco, since you're now become a vegan, I guess I'm going to I'm already know ve- the answer. I'm not, ve- I'm not vegan. I'm, I'm, I, I just don't eat a lot of – when I go out to eat, most of the time I will order vegan because I know there's no dairy in it. Because sometimes yeah. they'll tell you, oh, it's dairy-free, but it actually has some dairy. So you never yeah. know. You don't know. Yeah. So well, you can you Okay. Can you eat meat? Oh yeah. All right, so hold on to that yeah. because here's the question I'm gonna ask the both of you. Is how much are you willing 
Are you willing to give up meat to save the planet? That'll be the question I'll ask <laughs> after this break. Are you willing to give up your meat to save the planet? This is Tom Donaldson here with Coco Kosky, Dr. Larry, with the big question here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Hey, listen, if you just want to talk to us or just listen in and you just feel obligated to tell us what a great bunch of people we are, here's what you can do. You call 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130, and you can come on there and say, Tom, Coco, Larry, you're three of the best I've ever listened to. We love you, we love you, and we even love you even more. Now, if you want to say something negative, we'll think about whether or not let you back on the air. But <laughs> <laughs> so I just uh, so six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. You can listen to this podcast at any time at your convenience at uh, Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. You go on the website, uh, you get to pick, you choose, it's the, the show of your choice, and you can re-listen to this podcast. And if you want to be a sponsor of the show, labachelor40 at gmail.com, uh, email us and we'll send out the sales staff. And we'll, and we'll tell you what you get. You get three, three ads. You get one mention in addition to that. In other words, Coco, myself, and if you want to also be on the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom, we'll, we'll do our own mention of what a great product you are. We're going to interview you once a month. Uh, at the beginning, at the end of the show, you'll be listed as the sponsor of that particular hour. So it's the best deal possible. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to listen to this podcast. In addition to that, it'll be part of our permanent podcast, because when you go back, people re-listen to the show, your message will be there as well until eternity. So all great, great bargains, great idea. Now, okay, back to the question. No, I'm oh, oh, ask by the th- way, by the way, by the way, I wanted sure. to say something real quick. I, I heard that, that flu ad, guys. Yes. When I got my second vaccine, I literally had the flu. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I I mean, Todd, like, you heard me. Like, the first day I got it, I wasn't feeling yeah. that great. And then it took two days. And then I had a fever of, like, 101 for, like, 16 hours. It was, yeah. like, 
It was nuts. So get vaccinated because I'm telling you guys, you do not want to even get the flu because uh, I, 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 I'm still not even over it. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, by the way, I mean, like I said, the other thing, too, about two or three weeks ago, we had Kevin Roach on the show talking about the coronavirus, the vaccine. And, and I want people to go back to that show and somewhere, in the, you know, and listen, re-listen to the show because, you know, because Kevin kind of talks about all, you know, he talks about all the latest data on the vaccine. You know, like myself, he's got his two vaccine shots, and he talks about all the latest data that gives you good reasons why you want to get the vaccine. So it's, oh, no, it's for a, sure, a, because within, within a day, my body started fighting it off, and it was yeah. a good thing that I got all those symptoms because that meant it was actually working. I'd rather that happen than me getting the vaccine and having no symptoms. Well, I, I, working, you know? well, actually, you don't know. I mean, I, I disagree with that because I, mean, I, I think I disagree with part of that because I can tell you, you know, my side effects were was a sore arm. I don't know. Exactly, what would, did you, you got the vaccine, right? You've been vaccinated? Yeah, I did. And what was your, and what did you give me? What did you I had zero, zero, zero symptoms uh, before uh, and after each of the, um, uh, the two uh, the two inoculations. Now, I guess you, I just uh, made a sermon sterner stuff than you uh, youngsters. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I had, like I said, I had a sore arm and that was it. And basically, the sore arm lasted after I exercised. I mean, I literally that was it. And Coco, you know, Coco is one of those. If if there was a symptom to be found, she gets it. Oh, seriously, I know. I was like, I was looking up like every symptom, and I literally had every stupid yeah. symptom. I was like, yeah. and then my my boyfriend, yeah. he he got his done. I took him to get his done. He had a sore arm, you know, but you know, and then the next day he started developing a little bit of fever. So it was he was just, he was just sleeping for like two days. Yeah. So, but uh, okay, back to the meat. Uh, back to the meat. You know, my question was from back. What are you going to I mean? Yeah, at this point, I had a conversation with, like I said, I was meeting with a group of donors uh, to deal with the project we're doing at the foundation, and they're both at uh, the, and they're, and, the, and I think they're both vegetarians, and we got to talk about the meat, you know, the the meatless alternatives that Bill Gates is talking about in his book, Saving the Planet from Climate, and and she told me she said, you know, I'm a you know I'm a vegetarian, but you know I'm going to tell you something, you know, the meat substitute that Bill Gates is talking about is 26 percent fat. It's got more fat than the actual meat. And, but my question, but it, it, it comes down to this. I mean, how much of your lifestyle are you willing to give up to quote unquote, and I use the quote unquote to save the planet? Well, what are you willing to give up? How many do you guys eat? Well, <laughs> well let me Okay, the question, I, I, I mean, I'm going to say, I, no, a, I mean, a, I get it, but, you know, Having meat every day isn't good for you, you know, like especially red meat. Um, well, the answer to the question know, is I, this. I, I, you know, the question is I have meat at least every day. I have something meat, uh, either chicken. Now, I live in my one where you have, you know, the, the number two white meat. Yeah, the number two I white meat. I hate chicken with a passion. All right. But the problem, I hate I chicken so have, freaking much. I have pork. <laughs> I mean, Iowa is the number one pork area. In addition to being number one corn, we're number one in pork. And so we have plenty of pork. Uh, I, I obviously eat red meat, steak, 
You know, last night I had a hamburger. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to say I usually eat meat every day. I mean, some, there's some oh, meat see, that's so I'm weird. Like, I mean, I, I consider myself a carnivore, but, like, I now, like, I'm kind of, like, not as much. I definitely uh, – I eat maybe – I eat meat maybe once a week um, just because, like – you know, I went to the doctor and like, you know, having, for me, having too much meat is like, you know, I, I just doesn't do good with my diet, but I mean, I definitely have, you know, I have fish. Uh, I love fish. I eat that. That's something I eat basically daily is I always eat either salmon or, you know, sushi yeah. or whatever. Um, but meat, yeah. I'm like, I'm to the point now where I'm like, you know, yeah, like I'll have it, but I don't necessarily want it anymore just because of how sick I used to get. All right, all right, okay. Uh, question. Okay, how about you, Larry? You mean, are you a, are you like me, a real a meat eater? I am a. Yes, and I would. Uh, I think. Uh, I think the answer to your question, though, really. <clears throat> Uh, serious note is, is exactly what yeah. uh, what Coco is going through right now with with respect to her dairy to the berries and uh, you know if you feel like it's a matter of survival you do it because you have to. Yeah. But well, I don't think most well, Americans are going to go for <laughs> having the government that they can't tell telling them they can't eat meat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the question I thought because I have to be honest with you. I'm not, you know, it, there, because when you look at what the environmentalists are going to ask you to give up, I mean, I, mean, I, I kind of be sarcastic with the meat, but there's an aspect of, you know, what are you willing to give up, you know, to quote unquote save the planet? And, you know, to me, you know, there are certain aspects of, you know, are you willing to, you know, give up meat? And when I have a billionaire, uh, who basically is telling me, you know, give up meat. You know, you know, yeah, my attitude is, well, well, when I start seeing you give up meat, then I'll think about it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem with people being vegetarians. Uh, I don't have any problem being vegans. Like I said, I had a conversation this morning with a vegetarian, a person who doesn't eat meat, uh, and I have no issues with that. And uh, I, but I do have an issue where people are going to sit back and say to me, "We're going to take away your safe to save the planet." Just, just for something you don't even believe in. Yeah, well, it's very, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, you know, and that's the question I throw back to people because you know we're going to be. At, I mean, people don't realize how much you're going to be willing to sacrifice. You know, years ago, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, years ago. Uh, I mean, here's a good example. Here's a good example, and also other things. Bill McKibben, who's a big, you know, green. I'm, I'm going to put. He's like at the top of the green. When it comes to green, he's the top. And he basically said he saved the plan for climate change. He would basically say, and here's the question I'm going to throw to both of you, because we all are in the business world. And he basically said, you're going. You know, he was saying. You would get maybe no more than an hour on your cell phone. An hour on your cell phone. And here's the question I'm going to throw back. Can any of us three in this room not use our cell phone for less than an hour every day to do our business? 
Hell no. I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah. Yeah. Hell no. Uh, hell no, yeah, exactly. Okay, how about you, uh, Larry? Um, I I could get along quite a long time without my cell phone, <laughs> uh, and much to the chagrin of many people that uh, try to get in touch with me. But um, yeah. so I guess I'm the exception to your uh, to your w- rule. I think the younger the the population, yeah. though, the truer that is that they don't, they don't mm-hmm. they have to live by it. Well, let me put the question by this way, because you know you and I do this. You know you and I do about. Uh, two hours every, you know, about an hour together every Wednesday, and sometimes it's two hours. You come on the show. Sometimes and, four. Uh, <laughs> sometimes four, yeah. But here's the thing: we couldn't do this show if we had these reg- if we had that restriction just to do the show. We couldn't do the show. And uh, uh, now, Coco, and, and here's the question I'm going to leave with you, Coco. You know, because we're going to come up on a break here, but you love streaming. You know, you're a streamer. I mean, and uh, you know, the question is going to come into play. The question I'm going to ask you is, you know, how much are you willing to give up on your streaming? Which is basically the future. Of, you, know, you have told me very clearly the entertainment, the future. So I will leave that here at this break. This is Tom Donaldson, Coco Konsky, Dr. Larry. We're here talking about what are you willing to give up to save the planet? We've gone from uh, meat, uh, and Coco's already given up meat anyway because, and she's already given up dairy, so I guess Coco's already on her way to doing that. Uh, And so we'll be right back here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, 1 in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back here at the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you want to talk to uh, either Coco or myself, Dr. Larry had to go, um, had to leave us, but he will be back tomorrow night on the Resistance Hour, and and he possibly will be joining me as well on the Donaldson Files Wednesday edition. So tomorrow, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on this network, and don't forget you can listen to the show anytime 
on the Bassin News Radio Network dot uh, com. And I guess I'll, I'm going to go back to you, okay, Coco. Here's the thing. Uh, this, you know, you know, to me, what makes it, you know, when we talk about science, and you better make sure you get the science right. But what are you going to be asking people to do? Because this, you know, you and I have had the conversation. You kind of educated me on the streaming revolution. What I would classify as the streaming revolution, where list, you know, there, were, you know, we're not going to movie theaters anymore. We're basically watching things on our computer or on our cell phone. And yeah. and the question comes to play is this: that revolution ends. I mean, if we're going to quote unquote go as, to the extreme side of saving the planet, that take you know, you know, we're not we're you know that disappears. I mean, are you so? I mean, this is the thing people need to say. You know, what are you willing to sacrifice? And I ask this question, and I do this for a simple reason because people don't really understand what they're going to prepare to sacrifice with the. Uh, well, no, the I do a lot to help the planet. I don't. I don't. I don't use straws. I use. I use uh, recyclables. You know, I recycle all yeah. the time. I do a lot of things for the planet. Yeah. Why well, do? Like I say, I don't. I, again, I don't care. I mean, personally, I'm not a you know, straw guy, but you know, I can live with a you know, wood, you know, even though you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, I there's I, I recycle. Everybody pretty much recycles. I don't think that's you know, you know what I you know, but what I want people to understand is you know, somebody's going to say to you, you're not going to you know, you're going to be restricted in the use of meat or the elimination of meat. And I'm not again talking about you know the proposal. I'm talking about these are things that have been in the medical literature now. For about a decade of what needs to be done and and when i talk about when people when i say to people in this aspect of okay you know we're talking about the use of cell phones you know you know you know literally you know there have been people suggesting we're going to have to restrict the use of cell phones to a point where an hour every day 30 minutes every day to reduce our carbon footprint and I'm just wondering, you know, how, you know, is this the extremity that you're prepared to go? You know, when people start to learn, you know, get to that point, it's going to be fascinating when people realize, well, is this how, you know, how far they're willing, you know, people are willing to go? The curtail, would you and I take for granted every day? Now, it, it, there's a difference between, let's say, recycling, which is fine with me, uh, versus, let's say, Having somebody say to me, "Well, Tom, you can't do your business because we're going to restrict the way you use your cell phone. We're going to restrict the way you communicate." And for many of us, like, I'll tell you that right now, that's not going to happen. Well, it may, you know, we say that, but these are things that have been proposed in the science, you know, by individuals, people who are quote unquote serious-minded people. These things have been proposed. When I say, you know, eliminate meat, these are things that have been proposed out, you know, within the mainstream of a good portion of what we can classify as the environmentalist movement. So we can sit, you know, we can argue and say, well, this will never happen. Nobody would ever approve of it. But, you know, my view is very simple, is that if you turn this into a national crisis, how many people will basically do that, or you know, what is the price? I'm just saying these are ideas that have been proposed in scientific literature. Uh, 
And so it's, and we're not, I mean, again, we're talking, not, I'm not talking, you know, the whack job, well, I'm not, I'm talking about people who quote unquote the environmentalist movement, like Bill McKibben. Nobody, you know, like Bill McKibben is a good example. I'll use him as an example, but he is an individual that, you know, has been a quote unquote leader within the climate change movement. We got to do something. These are his proposals. Uh, and so that's, so you may be, I'm hoping you're right that people will look at this and say, you're nuts. We ain't going to do that. But it doesn't mean people won't try to do that. Your thoughts. Right. Yeah. Now, here's the other question. I'm going to throw it back to you because here's an interesting thought because, you know, it deals with the coronavirus. But, you know, I talked to different, you know, like I said, I'm out here in the Midwest. And I've always stated from day one, I mean, almost from April of last year, you know, live with the virus. The, the side effects of the lockdown will be worse in the long run than other. others have disagreed with you included. But I've always asked myself this question. I'm going to ask you this question is, okay, my youngest daughter lived in New York. And she's more like you than me on this issue. I mean, she's much more, you know, she, she's more willing to tolerate the restrictions. But if you look at the experience, I mean, but her experience was, you know, New York got hit first. I mean, it was almost like they got blasted out. And her experience would be different than, let's say, my experience where things came in a gradual sense and we learned to manage the learn to manage this. And you, on the other hand, if anybody has seen every worst case of coronavirus or side effects of the vaccine, everything, you know, you've seen far worse. You know, it seems you've had far worse experience than I have. And the question I'm going to throw back to you is how much does somebody's experience, how they view this pandemic? What's your thoughts? What do you mean? How has it impacted? Okay. Well, let me say, let me put it this way. Okay. Here's the thing. Uh, my point would be is if you lived in New York and every day you heard from the mo- April of 2020, you know, nothing but death, destruction, chaos. And you went through this. Okay, you lived in the Midwest. Even when we started seeing increases, we never got that feeling, you know, bring out the dead. You know, it was never that, oh, my God. It was more, okay, we're going to live with this. We're surviving this. We're doing fine. Or let's say there was more of a stoic attitude. And that's, you know, and places like Iowa opened up quicker. Because people learned to live with it versus New York, where literally every day you were hit with every bad news you could possibly hit. And and I know you've told stories about your experiences with some of your friends in California. And my question is, you know, how much did that you know flavor or it influence how you viewed the virus and what needed to be done versus myself? Um, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like you know. Like I said, like now I'm starting to go out to eat, but I don't go indoors. Like even if I'm vaccinated, I'm still not going to do it right now. Yeah. Um, just my my personal preference. Like I don't want to. I don't know who's been vaccinated or who's not. And even though I am vaccinated, you know, I have people that I know that aren't. So I'm trying to protect them as much as I can. Um, yeah. And so for me, you know, I if I choose to go out to dinner, you know, like I'm doing later tonight. Like I'm gonna go eat outside. You know that's that's just that's just yeah. how I am. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I, mean, I know Zach because me on the other side, uh, you know, like you say, my wife is a little more cautious than I am. Uh, but, you know, but again, like you say, we never, you know, and I, even the newspaper coverage was never the same intensity that you would see in New York, as an example. You know, my, you know, basically everything in New York got locked down quickly. Uh, we locked things down, but we opened things up a lot quicker in Iowa. Plus, in the case of Iowa, when you have beef packing, yeah, we had a lot of viruses going through the meat packing, but the reality was if you shut down meat packing, nobody eats. So it was this case of, okay, you know, we're going to have to deal with the issue. You know, we'll take our chances because the impact of not being able, you know, having, you know, not being able to get meat to the market and have that available to people, you know, may end up being far worse than the other. So we lived with it, you know. And I and I do think that there's that there's that kind of aspect there, you know, the way people solve the virus was in different, you know, saw differently. I mean, my daughter, like I say, I mean, everything got shut down almost quickly, and she was out of work for like four months, and it took her a lot. She hasn't started working full time until maybe a month ago or a month and a half ago, and I was working, you know, and I was on the road probably in December and in January I was back on the road. And I and I always kinda of wonder if there's a part of me is, you know, how people's own personal experiences color the way they view things. Yeah, you know, maybe that's the point I'm trying to make. And I know, you know, and I know that you've had because I know you had a lot of issues you've had a lot of friends who've got the virus. I know you've known people who've died from the virus. I think we all do. But it seems to me that your friends seem to got it a lot worse than a lot of my friends. Maybe that's the way I'll put it to you. Yeah, well, these people that I knew that got really sick, they were in D.C. You oh, know, okay. it wasn't like they were in L.A. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, unfortunately, well, um, yeah. you know, I had a very good friend of mine who passed away, and I'm really still not over it. I don't think I ever will be. But, you know, um, and it's because he he got COVID. And he had a heart attack due to, you know, respiratory issues brought on by COVID at age 43. Yeah. Well, the thing to me, like I say, is, you know, 90% of the people that I knew had COVID uh, had either mild cases or at least I would say a third of them didn't even know they had the virus. I mean, like one guy, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you know, one, you know, it was like one, at work, you know, the, at, at my office. It was kind of interesting. This woman disappeared for like two weeks. He came back and I said, hey, what's going on? He says, well, I was diagnosed with COVID. It's oh, really. And we got talking and she said, and she based the way she put it to me was my husband owns his own business. So he decided to get tested. And, and he said no symptoms, no nothing. He just got tested. He found himself positive. You know, he he you know, he basically got all of his staff tested as well. Afterwards, he said go get tested, and then she came up and she too got tested positive. And she said, you know, my husband didn't have any symptoms really, other than she he felt tired. He just kind of felt drowsy. And she said I felt drowsy, but that was about it. And within a week, you know, we felt better, but. You know, we, you know, she felt better. You know, that's an example. My accountant the same way. He told me, 
My wife got sick. She had a sore throat. They, you know, got you know, they did not diagnose uh, strep throat. They diagnosed COVID. And he said, I had no symptoms. It was just, but I tested positive. And that was, you know, and that was about 90% of the people I dealt with that got COVID. Uh, they didn't happen. I mean, it was not. And, and so we're going to hold on to that thought. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson here uh, with Coco Konski here on the Donaldson File on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Yeah, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome here back on the Donaldson Files Bachelor News Radio Network uh, with Coco Kunski. Our, this is the Tuesday edition along with my yours truly. And uh, I'd like to say, if you want to be a sponsor of this show, this is what you need to do. LABachelor40 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'll send you out a sales staff, as I stated, to be an official sponsor. Not just to be ad on the show, but to be the sponsor of the hour. You get three ads. You get a mention on the show, which Coco and myself will talk about your product or your company. In addition, you get one interview for one segment once a month. And at the beginning, the end of the hour, we'll say this show is sponsored by, or this hour is sponsored by. And so, in effect, you can get six mentions, and that'll be for any of our shows. For example, Here's a show that I'm going to talk about right real briefly. The Bachelor News Radio Show with the host, L.A. Bachelor. The man who the Bachelor News Radio Network is uh, actually named after because it's his network. But he show, he discusses issues of race, politics, policing, injustice, inequality, religion, sports that affect black, brown, and poor people negatively. You can listen to his show live 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Thursday on blocktalkradio.com slash la-bachelor so uh, and so we get a wide variety of shows we have also following this particular show every Tuesday will be you and the law with Virgil Green and Keith Humphrey and by the way if you want to listen on the bachelor news radio network.com uh, last week on the resistance hour 
Virgil Green and Greg Youngs had a great conversation with Dr. Larry and myself. So about uh, you know policing, uh, the, the the new administration, and all kinds of issues, everything in between. Great discussion. But this is the kind of discussions you get on our shows and on this particular network, and you can advertise and be part of that. And if you want to call in at 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130. And we got on the line. Now, by the way, Coco, I noticed on Instagram, Reagan has his own Instagram. So how's he that does. Yeah. <laughs> he does, indeed. Uh, yeah, I just I was bored one day. I decided to make one. So there's that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, is, uh, how did that work out? I mean, how's that working out? I mean, how, what, how many people Instagram? Are... Yeah, it's Instagram. Yeah, how many comments? Oh God! Does, uh, how many? I mean, how many followers we have? How many comments does Reagan, the uh, the super dog, get now? Is, is he, he gets is he a more lot. Popular? He actually he gets he gets a lot of comments. He gets a lot of uh likes. Blah blah blah. You know, um, you know, it was just a fun thing for me to do. I thought it was funny. I was also kind of curious because I know that it was very kind of cute because he's a cute dog, by the way. So, and for anybody, Thank does, you. so what is it? So, what's his IG? For people who want to follow him, he's Reagan in Burbank. Reagan in Burbank. Because <laughs> so, yeah. he's Reagan and he lives in Burbank. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, I, now, have you done any work at all with script writing? Anything? Or are you just basically uh, doing your marketing? Honestly, your no. The hours a week, <laughs> so it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm having a blast doing it. It's it's a lot of yeah. fun for me. Now, again, I, I'm asking, but I want to kind of let people. What kind of modeling are we talking about here? Uh, I mean, um, the company, you know, the, the people you represent. Go ahead. Just your average modeling, you know, um, everything from lingerie to, like, catalog type stuff. So um, it's fun. I really enjoy the work, and, um, you know, I'm having a blast doing it. I got to work from home, which is the best part. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, speaking of, you know, working at home and being at home, how's the uh, uh, future stepdaughter doing? Are you guys still hanging out together? Yeah, yeah. We actually are going to be planning a vacation in August. Um, either going to go to Disneyland or a week at Lake Arrowhead. So I am super excited for that. Hmm. Now, have you ever been to Disney World, too? Both, either. Oh, gosh. Yeah, long time ago. It's been 20 years since I've been there. Yeah. So it's been quite a bit. Um but yeah, I'm excited for Disneyland itself. Hmm. All right, all right. Here's a here's a uh, a story that I caught. I want to kind of get your view on this. Uh, all right. Okay. Uh, basically, it the story basically is that the Biden administration is considering using quote unquote private firms to track the online activity of American citizens. Now, the rationale I don't believe that get, story. I'll tell you that right now. I don't believe it at well, all. Well, basically, it's I coming mean, from it's, CNN. You may be right. It's coming from CNN. So you may be right. It may be wrong. But 
the the process the what they're attempting to do is get around you know you know basically allow Facebook and those groups to monitor uh, groups on behalf of the government so, and the way they put it is you know you guys can quote unquote do the monitoring for us because we're limited to what we can submit you know for surveillance and have a partnership with the Department of Human Services. I mean, I mean, the Department of Homeland Security, and and it's up to them now. If you feel, hey, we got this information, we think you might want to be interested in. And I guess the question, okay, let's just say for theoretic sense, uh, CNN got the story right. Would you be nervous about that, or do you think it's okay? Well, no, because I'm not. I I don't believe that's true at all. I mean, I, well, no, no. I'm just saying if it was true. Yeah, if it's true, I mean, I'm, well, like you say, can't. I'm not going to answer if it was true question because it's not. And so, I mean, well, that's just like, well, I'm kind just of saying, okay, well, well, no, but this one, would you? Let's say, would you? If let's say a government attempted to enlist private groups like Facebook, like Twitter, to in effect, quote unquote, pass on information, would you be comfortable with that? Well, I'll have to get back to you on that one, Tom. Okay. All right. Well, okay. I'm just kind of curious on that because I, that kind of struck me as very interesting. You know, this is one of those stories I look at and say, oh, this is kind of an interesting story. Now, here's the other story that I think is interesting. Uh, for the audience, uh, you, know, you may not find it interesting, but uh, but Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, and here's what they stated. Copper is the next oil. That copper, and here's what they mean, is is one of those strategic materials like nickel, cobalt, platinum, iron that are necessities to today's economy. In particular, uh, it, you know, many of our tech, you know, like I say, a lot of our technology goes is you know these resources come in, and mm-hmm. and I thought it was kind of an interesting story because uh, Minnesota has got one of the you know top undeveloped deposits of copper, nickel, cobalt, and other essential minerals. They're so massive that. 34% of our copper reserves alone that we can find, they use the word find because oftentimes you'll find, is in Minnesota. Uh, Arizona is leading, followed by Utah, New Mexico, Nevada, Montana, and even, yeah, I did not realize Missouri and Michigan were involved in that as well. But But these are, it's, it's just kind of interesting because they're ba- it's one of those interesting things. It's, it's just something we don't think about. But, you know, again, but I have friends of mine who for years, you know, who for years, yeah. uh, for years, you know, have talked to me about, you know, Minnesota and the copper and some of the things. Because a lot of these minerals are coming from either China or places like the Congo. Where you got essentially slave labor doing all the work for you, and then you got the United States, and I just thought mm-hmm. that was one of those interesting stories that that we're here breaking here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 
But and we're talking again, you know. It's fascinating to me because the Goldman Sachs expects Goldman. copper prices to soar from nine thousand to about fifteen thousand per ton. So we're talking some very big increases that if states go full hog, we're talking some additional monetary you know, benefit to the United States economy that is there. But I just thought it was an interesting. Now the other aspect. Now you're a Bitcoin person, correct? I'm a what? Bitcoin. Oh yes. yes. About, all right. All right. Now I have you know friends of mine who keep telling me about Bitcoins, and I've even finally broke down to my uh, financial planners. Oh, I, you know, I'm kind of interested. You know, what's your and maybe doing some investment. But here's the interesting thing. It's like sixty. Was well, I'm not sure what the latest, but it's like around fifty thousand dollars for Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, last year it was only four thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing about me again, and this is again one of those things that you know we've talked about on the show, and we you know this is so. You know, once again, we've always been ahead of the cutting edge of societal evolution with some of our things we've talked about over the years. Mm-hmm. And kind of talk about your experience with the Bitcoin, you know, why you got interested, you know, what turned you on, who turned you on, and then, I've got, and then I'll give you the reason why I'm bringing the story up. Go ahead. Um, well, I got interested because my boyfriend was starting to talk about it, and we were following it. Um, I knew about Bitcoin. I had a chance to enter it, like, years ago, and I did not take that chance. I kicked myself in the foot every day because of that. Um, but I do invest. Like, I invest in Dogecoin. Um, like I said, Dogecoin went out, like, an insane amount in the last couple months. Um, and I, I have a crypto wallet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you a question. How – you know, who did you work to? Did you like do a Coinbase? Uh, how did you do that? Did, you, did a friend of yours yeah, say? Yeah, Coinbase, Coinbase is good. Coinbase is good. Um, I did, you know, um, I started out with Robinhood. And so that's how I started with my whole uh, Bitcoin thing. So you can always track yeah. it and see what the numbers are. So I was doing that for a while. Well, here's the thing I'm going to think about this because, you know, to me, this is why I bring this whole thing up is because is in the end, to me, part of the Bitcoin that I think, theoretically speaking, is that people are going to start looking for hedges against inflation down the road. You know, there's that fear of inflation, a legitimate fear. And, right. And people, and I kind of view this because one of the things that I've noticed is gold hasn't shot up. Gold has not shot up like I thought it. You know, I kind of look at some because oh, usually gold in the past has been the inflation hedge. And I'm beginning right. to think that Bitcoin are becoming the new gold. They're becoming the new. Oh, for sure. Inflation. I agree with you on that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is kind of an interesting thing because is this a, I view this as a signal that people are given. They're saying, all right, 
if we're going to have massive government spending with massive monetary expansion, which we're seeing, we're seeing, uh-huh. you know, you know, in, you know, the possibility of inflation increases, and once you get to that point where you right. start inflating, where do you go for a hedge? Because once you start inflation, right. then you're going to have to start with dealing with what do you do to rein it in? And reining it in means the federal re- and the federal reserve starts tightening the money. It also means a recession down the road, if not worse. And, right. And the you know and again you know, one of the things I stated you know I've been you know over the past year one of the things I kind of looked at when I looked at the history of the Spanish flu in 1919 1920 the Federal Reserve actually ran an inflationary cycle. I mean, between 19, after the World War I, 1919, you did see inflation of the currency. And you saw massive inflation in which the Federal Reserve tightened up. Well, people tend to forget, 1920, there was a severe recession that some people used the word depression that showed up. And one of the reasons was inflation. And I want to, and I'm starting to think more and more that we may be preparing for an inflationary cycle. That's why I think, you know, when you say, you know, bitcoins, and one of these times, uh, what I'd like to have you do is talk more about bitcoins. Maybe we can find a guest who can talk about bitcoins, because I truly think that this is a potential inflation hedge that people have looked at. And the one aspect at this point with bitcoins. Is that it's totally independent government. There is no government control over bitcoins. Bitcoins, if I understand it, please can make me wrong, is this X number of bitcoins that have been available to you. You know, it's not, it's kind of like gold. There's only so much gold in the world, there's only so many bitcoins available. Thus the, the rise in prices. Uh, am I correct on that? Yes. Okay. All right. So basically, yeah. okay. So basically, if this is indeed the case, it's an inflationary hedge, and I think it's one of those issues where you know it, it, it that is going to be vital because monetary policy matters, and Bitcoin mm-hmm. is a unique experience in the sense that it is at this point independent of government. There is no government, you know, you know, controlling. Bitcoins in the same, you know, Bitcoin. It's basically between you and the market. You, you invest in the market, you know, dictates. But it's totally independent of it, and I think it's going to be fascinating. And that's why I think, you know, and I think it's something that people need to watch. And I tell you mm-hmm. what, uh, so, so we're going to do a show on this. Uh, like I said, I'm going to tell the audience right now, we're going to do a show on this in the future, and Coco and I are going to work on this. To get a good guest, I will have Coco make that your assignment, one of your assignments over the next yes. two weeks. Find the right guest to do this. In the meantime, we're going to say thank you for the Donaldson Files, for Coco and myself saying good night. We'll thank Dr. Larry good. for showing up earlier. And ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Good night. Whoops.
For Brian King, shock and despair still one year after her experience with an Austin police officer. I've become afraid of the people who were supposed to protect me and to take care of me. That fear, she said, came from a clash with Officer Brian Richter. This is your driver's license, you're being stopped for speeding. What happened is caught on his patrol car video, obtained exclusively by the KVU Defenders and the Austin American Statesman. Officer Richter says in this report that he asked King to close her car door should she try to run away. All right, take your seat back in your car so we can close the door. Put your feet back in the car so I can close the door. When she didn't immediately comply, he attempts to forcibly remove her, and things escalate fast. No, why are you kidding me? Oh, my God. As their confrontation plays out, King is taken to the ground a second time. In his report, Officer Richter says he acted so quickly because King reached to the passenger side of the car. He says he didn't know if she had a weapon. He also said King showed what he called a, quote, uncooperative attitude and resisted by clutching her steering wheel, actions not caught on camera. King was charged with resisting arrest, a charge prosecutors immediately dismissed when they saw this video. I was trying to figure out why is this happening to me. Oh my God, I was genuinely like fearful for my life. I didn't know what was going to happen and literally I didn't understand why it was happening to me. But it doesn't end there. A few minutes later on her way to jail, a calmer King talks to another APD officer, Patrick Spradlin, about relations between officers and the black community. Because of their appearance and whatnot. Officer Spradlin is heard offering possible explanations about why some people fear African Americans. I can give you a really good, a really good idea of why it might be that way. Violent tendency. And I want you to, I want you to think about that. That's why a lot of the white people are afraid, and I don't blame them. Yeah. Some of them, because of their appearance and whatnot, some of them are very intimidating. After more than a year, the entire case is getting a new look. At the time, Officer Richter received the lowest level of discipline, counseling and training. But now, Police Chief Art Acevedo said the department is doing a full review, both of Officer Richter's use of force and Officer Spradlin's comments. The chief says he found those particularly offensive. I can tell you that those comments are not consistent with the expectations, the mindset, I think the uh, mindset that we want of our folks or anybody in law enforcement. Anybody. I was in disbelief. I was. King says she wants something done. If you've wronged someone and you have not been reprimanded, then how do you know that you, you're wrong? For her, she said the clash between her and Officer Richter has forever tarnished how she views the police. Hey, we want to welcome everyone to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad every, everyone is able to tune in for another edition of You and the Law. And uh, we've got a, a, an exciting show uh, for our listeners. Uh, this is the – May is the month of uh, mental health awareness, and uh, you just uh, listen to a um, – an audio of a incident that occurred uh, a couple of years ago in Austin, Texas, between uh, a black female uh, uh, and a uh, Austin police officer, 
And uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, a topic that we hope that you all will tune in and, and uh, share your comments and your concerns or if if you've had any kind of encounters with law enforcement uh, along these lines. But um, we're going to be talking about the, the, uh, uh, the mental health trauma that uh, our men, uh, black men and black women, and including our youth, are, are dealing with uh, with these encounters uh, with uh, law enforcement. But I want to remind you that the call-in number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And you can follow us on our social media. You can go to, to our Facebook page, and that's uh, you and the law one. And that's you and the law one. And uh, share your comments uh, if you can't get in on the chat room or if you'd like to come on air. But please go to our Facebook page and like it and, and share our comments on our page about the topic that we're going to be talking about today. And um, because it's an important topic that we need to have in our community and an important topic that we feel that law enforcement really needs to be a part of and are police officers really understanding the trauma that our black men and women are facing, including our youth? So um, I need to uh, bring on my uh, co-host who goes by the name of Chief Swag. Brother, how you doing? What's going on, Virgil? How you doing? L.A., how y'all doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Man, just, man we're uh, doing great, just man. Just working hard, working hard every day, and uh, – Waiting for yeah, you yeah, to yeah. recognize, waiting for you to recognize me as the host of the show, and you is just my little old co-host. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, well, man, you know what? Uh, I will give you the honors of being the host, and I will be the co-host because you know you you have this 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 alias that the goes little, by the, the little name. co-host. <laughs> A little co-host. <laughs> you got this alias that goes by the name of Swag. And so uh, our listeners will probably want to know, what does this swag that this police chief have? So, you know, we'll, we'll let the audience, uh, our listeners, decide the swag that you got, brother. You want me to tell you what it is? Yeah, yeah, I want to know. Let me tell you what it is. Yeah, it's let, let me I'm... and it's the fact that I'm GQ, that I'm GQ, GQ, and I just and I just and I just got swag, man. I'm just cool, man. I, I, you know what, brother? I hope too many people didn't fall out of, didn't drop their phones, or didn't fall out of the chair when they heard that the GQ. You know, you got the GQ. I got the GQ hey. down, man. Hey, man. Hey, hey, you know this month, uh, Keith is is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, and we're gonna be Talking about mental health awareness uh, in the black community, we've got uh, some guests going to be coming on on some other shows talking about the mental health trauma, and I just think this is a uh, an important topic that we really need to get into and 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 really have that dialogue uh, with our listeners, and and hopefully they will share their concerns or their thoughts about. Uh, the, the mental health, uh, the trauma that, you know, these that people are, are dealing with. And I think, Keith, it's something that is not really often talked about in our community um, because, you know, especially with our children. You know, we last week, Keith, you know, we had 
couple of video audio clips where, you know, six-year-old kids were being handcuffed and screamed at and, and hauled away in police cars. And I, and I just don't think that the adults who are in these positions, police officers in schools, Keith, do you really think they understand the, the, the trauma that, that these children are going to deal with for the pretty much for the rest of their uh, lives? I don't think I don't think Virgil. I don't think that uh, that we have a good grasp as law enforcement officers on really what mental illness is. I think we're still trying to learn, and I think it comes back to just the the the, the uh, uh, generational aspect of the fact of being embarrassed to say that you have mental illness. Uh, people believe that when a child acts out, it's it's just basically being. Uh, being bad when an adult acts out is the fact of where well, they're just trying to get out of something. And, you know, the terminology crazy uh, is something that was used for years. And so if you just kind of think about it, when you had a kid that would act out, oh, we just put them on some Ritalin, they'll be okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Not, well, let's take them, not take them to counseling and see what's really going on. Uh, when you had someone yeah. who was an adult, uh, it came down to well, that's just crazy Joe. That's crazy Uncle Uncle Eddie. Uh, not let's hey, let's find out and see what's going on. And people don't realize that um, you know mental illness can be passed down. And so I don't think yeah. that we as a community understand what true mental illness is. And and we as law enforcement, we are just now beginning to recognize it because we're beginning to really train our officers to respond and recognize. So I think on both ends, man, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, man, we're going to jump in and take this uh, break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to jump back into this conversation about uh, law enforcement awareness with uh, and the traumas of, of mental health in the black community. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Taste and health. You want both in one cranberry juice? You want Northland. Northland has a kick to it. I like that. It says 100% juice on their label. That tells me it's healthy. Cranberry raspberry, cranberry grape. I love all their flavors. Northland, a great taste and the health benefits of cranberry. Only Northland has 27% cranberry in all nine of its 100% juice cranberry blends. I choose Northland because it fits my healthy lifestyle. Northland, 100% juice, 100% refreshing.
Welcome back to the uh, UNA Law and uh, broadcast, of course, with uh, Chief Chief Humphrey and uh, Virgil Green. We thank you for joining us. If you're uh, listening wherever you are, uh, you can dial in and make your thoughts known or just listen and enjoy six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. Or, of course, you can uh, hit us up on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, dot com it is up there uh, and uh, of course you can make your uh, thoughts known at the Unilaw Facebook page as well um, you know guys that I bring you back in I, I guess the question is you know um, President Biden has funded some or allocated some some funds towards putting a team together that's not law enforcement, but more so um, therapists and psychologists and those alike to deal with those crises that happen with mental illness situations. I guess my question, though, is how does that happen? How does that happen logistically and in terms of protocol? How do you know who needs um, that help? It, he, he's throwing money at it, which, you know, is a good thing, um, Chiefs, and whoever could take this to the question. But how do you know when you're going to that, that call, you're sending some officers to your call, and you don't know if it's a domestic violence or domestic mental or what and when if and, and if, if that's the case if it's something mental then how fast can you get somebody over there it's almost like you guys have negotiators right in the hostage situation so i don't understand how that process would work um especially with all the different details and things that you guys have to do when you're when you're putting this stuff uh forward well la i'll uh answer that. I think, you know, one of the things that when that initial call comes in, that's where all the information really needs to be gathered from that dispatcher to give to those officers as to what type of call they're responding to. And if it's a call that is more along the lines of somebody just having a mental health crisis, a mental health breakdown, then those calls should be rerouted to dispatcher who will dispatch a, a crisis, uh, a CIT officer or a crisis intervention team that's, that's made up of healthcare professionals to respond to those type of calls. Because again, you know, we've seen so many times where police officers have responded to, to calls and um, the majority of the time they're dealing with people who are who are have a severe uh, uh, background of, of mental health, uh, and they're needing some some mental health treatment. They don't need a police officer putting handcuffs on them. They don't need a police officer asking them, you know, who they are, what their name is, what you're doing, why are you over here, and all those kind of things. Uh, because then, when that person refused to give that information, it escalates the situation. And the next thing you know, there's there's hands on 
between the police and the individual that they're dealing with. Um, give an example, just recently, LA, I don't know if uh, in our listeners uh, saw this uh, because it went social media viral where a, I believe this lady was 74 years old. Um, I think it took place out on the West Coast um, where an officer, you know, threw her down. It could have taken place in Colorado, but threw her down to the ground, end up fracturing her collarbone. Uh, Lee, the lady, had uh, some type of mental mental health uh, issues. There was uh, an allegation from Walmart that she had stole something from Walmart. Uh, and everything was caught on the officer's body cam. And, and one of the things that really got me was these officers know that this body cam is on them. But their attitudes and their behaviors are just still the same as if they don't even have them on. And these officers are, you know, giving each other the high fives. They're talking about, oh, hey, you know, did you? I heard it when, you know, when, when a bone cracked or whatever. And these now I believe this one officer has been terminated. I think there are some other officers facing some disparate action. But even with the body cams, we still have bad bad behaviors. And, and, and officers dealing with people with with uh, with some type of mental illness, or even even dealing with children that are artistic, and so you know, and that's why you know this is an important conversation to have, and not just in the month of May. It's it's a 365 day uh, conversation to have about the the trauma that people are dealing with when they have an encounter with police. And I think when you, just like the tape that we played uh, coming on to the show, where this woman is going to have this fear for any police officer that she encounters for the rest of her life because of a simple traffic stop turned into how she was treated. But one of the things that really got me listening to this uh, audio clip was, the other police officer who was transporting her, she began to have a dialogue with him about this is the problem that the black community is having with police. And this police officer said, well, we, there is this fear or there is this concern about police officers dealing with, with, certain, um, with certain black people. And so you have an officer caught on tape, on his own body tape, body camera, that's inside of his vehicle, talking about this is why police act the way that they act toward black people. Now, not every police officer has that same mindset, but you have to quit. If, if he is one, how many more of him are there in that agency? So we have a really serious problem, uh, Keith, and it, it is something that, you know, and it's not so much to talk about people with mental health illness. This conversation is about people who their number one fear in life is the police, but the police is supposed to be the protector. Just like the lady in the, in the uh, audio clip. She said the police are supposed to protect me. I should be able to call them when I need them, but that trust is gone. It's lost. 
So having this conversation about the traumas that black people are dealing with and our youth are dealing with is something that uh, we really need to have. And, and the main thing, Keith, is that law enforcement, police officers really need to understand what they've seen with Michael Brown, with Eric Garner, with George Floyd. Those things are those are trauma, and some people react and respond in a different way. And so I don't think police officers really understand that, Keith. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, Virgil. I'm, I'm going to say this. David Brown said it. David Brown said it uh, best in 2016 during that tragedy in Dallas. Is that we we are called to do a lot, and the fact is we can't we can't retreat or back out when we're called. And so what happens is what type of tools are we giving uh, our 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 officers uh, to to address that? And what happens is we we do have those officers that they lose it. Uh, it's about if I can't be in control of this situation, then I'm gonna come I'm gonna turn into this person that's going to take control and stay in control. And so yes, you have to have the right people, but what does the right person look like? What does the right training look like for a police officer? Because one of the things you have to realize, eighty hours of, of training or even hundred and sixty hours of crisis intervention training does not solve the problem. It it, it gets to a, it, it it addresses some issues, but not all. And so, you know, we do need those professionals uh, to, and, and we do need to develop teams because the thing about it is, when someone is having a crisis, you never know if that person is going to remain calm or if that person is going to become a, a threat to himself or others. So, you do want that law enforcement um, presence there. But you also want someone, a social worker, a counselor, someone who can address it. And then what we do with that, we take that information and try to get this individual long-term assistance because a lot of the people that we're dealing with out here don't, they, they, they go to the doctors and they don't follow up or they don't have any resources to follow up. So these are things that we have to get people, um, we have to get people, uh, used to. So that's why we're having to go to these, and we should be going to these teams. Uh, law enforcement shouldn't have to make those decisions if someone's in crisis. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't have enough um, uh, mental health professionals to go around. So we're having to do that initial screening, and then we take those individuals to facilities that they can only be held 24 to 72 hours. And once they determine they're not a danger to themselves or others, they're back out. So um, we are asked to do things that we haven't, we don't have the, we, we have some training, but we don't have the long-term training that I think we need to, to address those issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Keith, I want to remind our listeners, if you're just now tuning in to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, uh, uh, tonight's topic is understanding racial trauma. Um, and uh, throughout the month of May, we're going to be talking about uh, mental health awareness uh, because May is the month of mental health awareness on on you and the law uh, podcast show. And um, so tonight, uh, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, the mental health trauma uh, the black community is suffering from uh, police violence 
And uh, so, uh, and this in- includes our youth, you know, with one of the, the daily, the encounter with George Floyd that everybody watched for nine minutes and 46 seconds, uh, that in itself uh, is, is, is trauma to everybody. I think it just shocked everybody that this police officer kneeled on George Floyd neck for nine minutes and 46 seconds. And um, the bystanders, people who watched it, and even there are some police officers who had issues with it as well. But Keith, we're gonna uh, we're coming up on, on uh, to take our next break. But when we come back out of the break, we're gonna get back into this conversation about uh, do police officers understand the racial trauma in the black community? But you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. WCOM and uh, IBM TV. Um, if you miss any part of the broadcast, make sure you go to the UNR Law show page at the Bachelor News Radio Network. Click on there. You'll see the interviews that the great chiefs have done um, with several guests or had comments and um, a very thought provocative because uh, that's what they, that's who they are. That's what they believe in and that's you hope what you should trust in is that they believe God's had two questions came in with one comment. Uh, Robert in Ohio said, it's no way that police can be able to have mental illness people on call or on site to handle uh, those types of issues. Um, and uh, Jennifer said that uh, I guess the chief and, and Virgil, I guess you were the one that said, I guess they forgot about Rodney King and how, you know, we you, you mentioned George Floyd and some, some other stuff it is, it is that uh, these issues, these trauma, traumatizations, if you will, have been taking place for some time. So if, if they're mentioning Rodney King and to the point, not to say that I agree, but to their point, we seen Rodney King, and I want to say some stuff for this your broadcast. We seen Rodney King get beat up on television, right? Then we should have mm-hmm. been traumatized um, quite some time ago, I guess. Um, 
is what Jennifer is saying uh, to the two of you. So Robert made the comment. Jennifer made the comment. Uh, you guys, uh, go ahead. Well, hey, we want to definitely thank Robert and Jennifer for tuning in to you and the law, and and thank you for your comments. Uh, you know, and I think you know it was Jennifer who made the comment about you know when we saw some. I don't know, it's been over 20-something years ago with Rodney King, uh, the the trauma that, how that played out, uh, and that was caught, if everybody remembers, and some people may not be, uh, you know, it may be in fairly young, but, you know, that was caught on a um, somebody's uh, VHS tape, they, and they got uploaded and got sent to the news media. It wasn't on a cell phone. Cell phones were were you know not very popular back then and in the fact that you have to go back to what happened with Rodney King and these things have occurred over decades and the fact that Keith that we still have police officers using the same amount of force violating people's rights violating uh you know, black men and black women in a way that, uh, and, you know, we tell people, Keith, that you you cannot win an argument on the side of a road. But so many people have asked me, Keith, well, you guys keep saying, you know, you can't win an argument on the side of the road, but what rights do I have? If I'm pulled over and here's this aggressive officer who belittles me, you expect for me to sit there and take it, but then the next thing you know, I'm being drug out of my car. I'm being beaten. Uh, I become another hash. I may become another hashtag. And the police officers, they just go on about their 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 lives and they continue to doing the same thing. So you know, there is so many questions that people have, Keith, about what are my rights. You know, I thought I had the right to. Go ahead. Well, Virgil, let me say let me say this real quick. It comes down to people knowing what their rights are. You know, we've got this card that talks about what to do when stopped by the police, and it's not just for African Americans; it's for everybody, uh, because there are some there are some things that you that you must do. But I don't think a lot of people understand what a detention is. And when you're stopped by a police officer, you're being detained. Uh, courts have said that you're being detained, and you have to follow the the, the orders of that officer. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to allow that officer to, uh, you know, it doesn't say that you can't ask questions, and it doesn't say that you can't tell the officer that you disagree. But it's pretty clear when you're stopped, uh, that's not the place to have, because you, you're, you're not going to win that. Uh, and, and either you're going to go to jail or it's going to end up turning into a, a, force, uh, a force issue, and that's what we don't want to do. Uh, because someone goes to jail, and I know that it's an inconvenience, and, uh, and some of the listeners will, will disagree with me, but when you're being detained, you have to follow those those orders of that officer. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's right or not, you have to do that. <clears throat> now, if you're complying with that officer, that officer doesn't have a right to use excessive battle force. There's times when even if somebody says, I'm not going to do this, the officer has to make a decision does this does this uh, justify me using this amount of force, an elevated amount of the force, or hey, why don't I just let this person go? Why not take their information, mail them a citation or whatever? What happens is you get in this mindset of 
I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And, and that's what people are concerned about in, in police academies. When I first went to the police academy, they drilled it into you. You got to win the situation. You got to go home every day. Well, every, some people don't interpret that. Some people interpret that as by any means necessary. <laughs> and, and that's what you get with some officers. They, they, they just feel like because I say so. Let's, let's look at the incident with the, with the gentleman that was a, a military guy. What what okay. harm would it have been to tell that gentleman the reason you're being stopped? I can't see your license plate. I know you have a paper tag. I can't see your license plate. And then the, he would say, "Okay." He got out of the car, showed him my license plate is 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 good. Then you then you go. The officer didn't do that. You know this this man is what? this man is on his way home. You're t- he thinks he's doing everything right. The officer had an opportunity to. To, to win that, to, 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 that could have been a positive situation where the officer stopped him to let him know that his license plate couldn't be seen or his license tag hadn't been seen, but he basically did not communicate this with this with this gentleman. And, and the gentleman didn't do anything wrong. He was not combative. He basically said, I'm not stepping out of the car. I pulled here because I wanted light. Why? Can I, can I ask you guys? Point. Yeah, go ahead, Elliot. Yeah, absolutely. You, go ahead, Elliot. Uh, someone, someone had asked asked me off the air uh, last week, and we didn't get a chance to to talk about that. But it, it, what about the terminology? Um, the Chief Humphrey, you said, and I'm sure Chief Green, you going through the same thing. You got to win. Why you got to win? How about you just say we just you just need to go home. I tell you guys all the time, keep your head down from the day to right. keep your head up at what you do. I want you and you to go home and your family like mine to be safe. So the terminology, if if you're breeding somebody saying, you know, uh, you got to win, that sounds very right. competitive. And then you got a gun and everything else. Chief Puffy, what about it that? It, it is. It is. And, and that's why we've had to go back and reevaluate our training and stuff because of the way we used to teach. L.A. When I went through the when I went through the police academy, let me tell you what they what they ta- what they focused on: guns, shooting people, shooting, not de-escalation, not talking to people, not 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 taking somebody uh, and passively trying to gain control. It was all about guns. It was all about no win. And when you sit there in front of impressionable young people and you say I'd rather be carried by I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by 6 and you do everything possible to make it home at night what are you telling them you are basically setting them up to believe that everybody they encounter is a threat and so everybody you encounter is a threat when you teach that way when you when you teach that way and so everybody everybody's not a me everybody's not a Virgil Green that understands what that means is be careful. It doesn't mean to be afraid of people. It means to be careful. So, well, Keith, and, that, and, that, and Keith, that was one of the things that the the police officer in Austin said to the the female that was being uh, arrested after that traffic stop was that, you know, basically the police have this fear of black people of black men and that's why the uh, police officers respond the way that they do 
And so, and I think, you know, when, you know, the training that you and I received, the academies, and, yeah, there's been a, a culture in policing that teaches you, you know, the main focus is, is on shooting. You spend more time uh, making sure you know how to shoot a weapon than you spend time on knowing how to interact with, with, with the citizens that you are supposed to be serving and protecting. And so uh, then you have the mindset that it's us against them. you got to go home at all costs. And everybody is is bad. Nobody over. Everybody on this side is bad. These people are bad. That's all you hear while you're going through your your law enforcement training. Then you hear it going through your FTO training from the the, the, the several people that you ride with. They give you all the horror stories and talk about the, the the bad people in the community, and but they never stop and take you to the good to things that are positive in the community. And so when you come on as a rookie, your mind is already made up that it's I'm against these people are not really my friends, and i got to treat them differently. And so I think – and then, you know, Keith, that – and then when they deal with a person, they don't understand that that person may have had a bad experience with another police officer on a traffic stop or walking down the street. And, uh, you know – Recently, I was reading a, uh, uh, an article about a, uh, a guy named Mike who was 22 years old. He was walking home from work. He was a bartender, had his headphones on. He, next thing you know, he's surrounded by police. The guns are pointing at him. This young man was afraid to take his headphones off because he was just so startled, and he didn't want to make any sudden movement as to take his headphones off to give the officer the impression that he may be reaching for something. And he said he just, he was afraid for his life. And, and Keith, I, you know, I think that is the, the one thing that people, that police officers don't understand is that the person that you're looking at, they fear you just as much as you may fear them. But, we have gotten to a point in policing, Keith, is that we've just lost how to treat people. And, and, and you know, I'm going to go back to the question I'm going to ask you. Do, do you think police officers, and we're getting ready to come up on a break, and you can answer this after the break, but do you believe that police officers have lost touch with especially the black community and really understanding, and and not just take it as a joke, that these people really do fear you. And, and you may say, well, I didn't do anything to you, but something may have happened on a traffic stop that you may be aware of. So that is a question that, I, that we're going to get into after the break. Uh, do police officers really understand the trauma that black people are dealing with when they encounter them. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad Music again. The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's Intro to Classic Rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's Intro to Classic Rock playlist. 
Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Bachelor uh, News Radio Network. And the show, of course, is the You and the Law with Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green. Um, as we go through the fire, no no pun intended. Um, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with uh, Chief uh, Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, as they discuss uh, this topic, the, the trauma the black and brown communities go through uh, with these uh, baseless and false arrests and and God forbid we see what's going on in North Carolina here where I'm at with Anthony Brown Jr. and, and all of these uh, um, places. Uh, I got an email sirs from Mark who says he's been in law enforcement, retired 33 years on the job, guys. You know what that means. He's uh, seen it all, did it all. He said it, even um, as a uh, a white law enforcement person, he's seen the um, misjustice um, and the discrepancies there. He said that um, the Fraternal Order of Police is an issue with that. He said he um, and um, he, he said that um, he uh, uh, thought that everybody has to look themselves in the mirror. I believe that as a general rule. And he also said that um, the dysfunction is not just at the fraternal level in terms of uh, policing black and brown communities, uh, Chief Keith uh, Humphrey and, and Virgil Green, but at every level in in terms of the, the policies, he said, in terms of those who run these um, agencies, and he he agrees with you about the training is there, but he also said you can't change hearts. A lot to say there, Mark. Uh, in Illinois, he said he just want to say Mark in Illinois. Um, okay. But that's a it's that's oh, well, a lot to say, amazing. guys. When you yeah, when you when you look at that and and the fact that uh, again something I've been saying and really I got somebody that said you know um, qualified immunity. Uh, it, that's another thing that I brought up on my show when I had you guys on. So he's mm-hmm. saying it's very dysfunctional on every level, but he's also saying that the fraternal order police are one of the reasons why uh, a lot of people, I guess, I guess he's saying he, he hung up, but he, I guess he's saying that, you know, when you get these verdicts that are not guilty and they no bill these guys and they walk, right? then that's part of the issue, guys. And I didn't mean to be long-winded. I'm going to go to the well, phones and, and well, chat and screen your calls for you. Well, L.A., let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, uh, let me say this. He is absolutely right, and thank you for being totally honest. Uh, the, the honesty is what helps. There is the dysfunction on every 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 level. And, and let me say this also. What's amazing to me is that that chief uh, where the – Officer used the taser instead of the gun. 
instead of him saying, did you see how dysfunctional that press conference was? Did you see how he took it personally? Then I go back to Ferguson where that chief was trying to be so politically correct after 11 days after the incident because they don't want to be, they don't want to be what they call roasted by the FOP. And man, right is right and wrong is wrong. And, and until we accept the fact that we can do more, uh, and, and that's what's going to be the problem. And he's right. You know, the chief can the chief can want this high level of performance, but if the people below him not pushing his vision down to those others, and they're sitting in briefings, talking about the chief, uh, going having coffee and beers, and talking about the chief, and talking about the mayor, and talking about the citizens and things like that, that's the problem. That's going to continue to be a problem. Well, and you know, in in the. Uh... The listener brought up some very good points, and, and definitely we want to thank you for tuning in to you and the law. But, you know, Keith, we've talked about it on our show. We've talked about it on uh, with L.A. on his show, the, just the culture of policing with the, with the, with the fraternal order police. And, and, the, and I think, you know, this is why people, especially in, in law enforcement, they don't understand why there is such a a big conversation about just the to dismantle police because there is so much negativity that police uh, that's in the police industry, and there are some people who feel like no matter what you do. You're not going to change the culture of policing until you just disband the, the whole facet of, of, of police, and uh, and and that's why you have and, and I don't I don't like the term, but people are are talking about defunding, uh, are reallocating funds to uh, uh, to police, and so. It is. It is a. It's a problem that the law enforcement industry. I don't. And I'm just going to be honest and real with every with our listeners uh, in, in 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 ULA. I think this is a conversation that the law enforcement community is is they. It's been acknowledged, but it's not like as a whole. Uh, how do we fix this problem? To where we can move to some other area, to where we can start building better relationships, because you've you've got some people who just don't feel like uh, things need to change, and uh, uh, it, it's just something that 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 you know. It, it's why do we continue to have these same conversations? And we have these same conversations because. People uh, don't want to change the culture of policing. Uh, I think, hey, we've got um, Chief uh, Bumpers who is on the on the line, and we want to get to Chief Bumpers. How you doing this this afternoon, ma'am? I'm doing good. How are you, Chief and Chief and everybody else? Hey, we're doing great, Chief Bumpers. And we're we're good to hear your voice. Yes, I'm enjoying the conversation. Uh, but Thank my you. comment, my comment is, um, 
we understand that there's trauma. So how do we move nas- on a national scale? How do we move from trauma now to trust? Uh, I know that many individual organizations, police agencies are building bridges. They're committed to building bridges between law enforcement and the community, and they're going out of their way now to ensure that transparency and to ensure that there's some type of connection with the communities that we serve. But we need to look at this on a national level. How do we get all 18,000 police departments to move forward in a moving from trauma to trust? Well, you know, uh, that's a good question. And and I'm going to ask you this. And and is this – I think this is a conversation that Noble uh, should really be engaged with and and should really um, be a part of on a national level uh, because, you know, you served as the the president for for Noble. So I'm going to ask you, what role do you think Noble can play in with this, whether it be at at a national conference or just putting together uh, bringing together law enforcement executives and, uh, and and people, other stakeholders, to have this conversation? Well, I definitely think that Noble can play a huge part, and they've already, uh, the current president, put together a team uh, to come out with a document uh, that talks about some of the issues that we're discussing now um, and p- really built on the 21st century policing document. So uh, I just made it more relevant to what's going on now. But I do think that not only Noble, but major city chiefs, FOP, Mm -hmm. we need all of the organizations that represent at every level to push the message to all of the agencies. I think if we can get on board with our organizations, if we can find some common ground, I mean, we're all working in our own areas, our own silos, but... Noble only reaches so many. FOP has the largest membership. So if we can find a way to bring in major city chiefs, FOP, uh, the Black Police Officers Association, uh, HAPCOA, Hispanic Police Officers Association, all of these organizations that have a representative from all different departments to come together with their leadership at the table to say we are committed to working on this. It just can't be a few. It has to be at a national level to move forward in what we're seeing now because everybody does not have the same access to training. Large law enforcement agencies may have the money, but do they have the time, do they have the resources to say we can send this many people to training? We're just kind of hidden and missing right now, but we have to make a committed effort. Well, let me ask you this, Vera, uh, real quick. So, what if if the training is 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 presented and taken to these agencies? Do you think that they're that they would be receptive to have uh, law enforcement, um, other law enforcement, to come in and, and talk about these things with their officers and and train these officers on on trauma? And uh, because we had a guest on uh, here not too long ago, he's a former uh, FBI agent, uh, former prosecutor, his name is Quentin Williams. He had shared with us that he's given training, and 
white officers actually didn't like what he was saying, and they just got up and they left out. And and even wow. some executives, even some executives have just got up out of the room and and left the training because they didn't like the message that he was giving. And so I think that is a problem. And I one of the I don't don't know if you heard the, what we were talking about with one of the other listeners who came in, and they were talking about that the FOP is the problem. And this is coming from a a retired white officer talking about the concerns with the FOP. So uh, what's what's your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I, I think – Because we do know, need to move at, forward. We do. And I think that, you know, like anything else, the head – you know, where the head goes, the body follows. So we mm-hmm. will have to start at the top with the chiefs. You you must get buy-in from leadership of these agencies, and because what leader would have would allow their personnel to just walk out of training, whether you agree with it or not? Um, and I, I, I what I say I want the building inside the building to be a safe space for us to discuss issues. Are we gonna always agree? No. But once we walk out of those doors wearing this badge and knowing that we've taken a, a oath to serve and protect. We're all on the same page, and we're going to serve and protect. But I think the leadership, so if we're not going to get buy-in from the organization, uh, at least the leadership in these organizations, we've got to reach these chiefs. We send all of our officers to training, but how many administrators take time to sit in a classroom? Yeah, hey, that's, hey, that's Vera, a good point. Vera, I want to respond to that. Let's take it a step higher. A majority of the chiefs are appointed. And so why can't we get our, our mayors and our city managers and our yes. council members and board of directors? Exactly. The importance of it yes. because then they can hold them accountable. That's who the citizens need to hold accountable to hold the police yes. chief accountable. And as police departments, we got to stop talking about what they're trying to run our departments and they're trying to tell us what to do. No, because let's just talk about it. City, a city, county, and state's economy is spearheaded a lot by public safety. And so if people yes. fear public safety, then that's a bad that's a bad feeling. So we gotta start it's gotta start we've gotta start they gotta start mandating. If the chief is having yes. problems and I, have those regular meetings with the chief. Because let me say this, there's a lot of mayors and city managers that don't understand what twenty first century policing is about. You're right. Yeah. But if you, yeah. start, then, then, if you then, start cutting those. If I can, if I can ask all three of you guys and and Virgil, you go over. That's fine. Whatever. But um, if 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 it's about the optics of explaining to the community, and I'm a civil person, community, I'm not law enforcement like the three of you, about what really goes on and how it goes on, then one would think, in my shoes that it comes back to the division that you have at your levels, fraternal. Those who don't, I mean, quite frankly, I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for you guys on this show. Those who don't really look like like you guys don't really have the same concerns or the optics um, explaining to um, the, the communities this is what's going on, I, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Hey, hey, uh, 
Keith is uh, he's going to have to kind of step away a little bit. But uh, right. you, you know, uh, I think uh, and Vera, uh, if you're still on the line with with this. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's it's real important that uh, the mayors and city managers really get involved with this because I, I'm going to you know inject this here. Let's say there's a city that has a, a a problem with their police department and there's a, a problem with with the trust between the black community and the police and and this is known nationwide and, and it's been all in the news media with protesting and let's say there's a a, a, a a convention or a conference that wants to go to that city but then they decide and they tell that city manager hey we're not going to bring the the 23 million dollars that would generate to this city because you guys have got a problem with your police, and and so there's an economic issue that will also play in the part, and that's why it's it's really crucial for mayors. But then you also have mayors who say, well, we don't. I, I'm just a mayor. The the city manager is the one. So when we have those cities that have stronghold mayors, that's different. But when you have a city which a lot of major cities have mayor uh, have city managers, those city managers really need to be held accountable because they're the ones who uh, oversee the police departments, just like what happened in uh, in Minnesota, where one day we saw yeah. the city manager on the news, Vera, and then the next day the mayor yeah. relieved the city manager of his duties. Yeah, and that, that was we, – we have to stop operating off the emotions. Um, I, yeah. I coined this. I coined this acronym, and I shared it with some of the people in the, my department. Uh, and it's called AIM. Just like we have to AIM when we're talking about our, our weapon, uh, being proficient with weapons. And I said the A had to, has to stand for. Sometimes we've got to adjust and adapt. And then the I is for we have to be intentional and we have to invest. And then the M is for manage. We have to manage our emotions. And a lot of times we have these knee-jerk reactions. It's not all police officers. And I get so frustrated with it. The 90% of the department's uh, police officers are good, upstanding. I don't care what color they are. They're committed and they operate with integrity. But we all, mm-hmm. every profession has a bad, I'm not going to say apple, have bad fruit. And so we have to look for that bad fruit, and we have to make sure that those personnel who are doing the right thing will be accountable for their peers, we'll have to. We must have peer accountability. So I don't think it's fair for us to just start saying all police are bad, all police need to be defunded. No, they need to be refunded because we cannot operate without uh, those funds. Uh, I understand the social service aspect of it, and I think we need to incorporate that. But we cannot defund police. We have to refund. And if you want to reimagine, but. There's nothing that's saying that you got to take money because most of that money is salary. And so yeah, exactly. uh, we have to educate. We have to start educating not only our city managers and our mayors, you're right, um, and Chief Humphrey was right. We've got to bring so many stakeholders to the table. But you, can't, you must be willing to come to the table with an open mind and listening and not come with your folding chair if something is said you don't like or if your idea does not move forward, you take your chair and leave. But we have to be committed to say, you know what, we're going to educate ourselves so we can elevate. This is about the next generation and living for our youth to be able to live in a society that's free 
of crime and not fear the police. So we have to change that conversation, uh, making it and, and highlight those officers that are doing the right thing. Um, we have many that are doing the right thing, many leaders, and stop blaming our chiefs when they go wrong. That's the first person we want to fire. That does not make us right. Once yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you make a good point uh, about recognizing officers who are, are going above and beyond and doing so many things in their communities. And, and one of those officers is somebody that, you know, is, is pretty well known on social media. Uh, he's a police officer out of North Little Rock, which a lot of people kind of get North Little Rock and Little Rock mixed up. But he uh, is all over social media. He has probably over 900,000 what police officer do you know has over nine hundred thousand followers on his on his Instagram? Uh, none. He is none, <laughs> and and he does. He is embedded in the community that he was raised in. He's a white police officer, but the majority of people he are he, that he deal with are people with they've got some kind of mental health uh, issues, uh, and but and he he has the his heart in, is in the right place. These kids run up to him. They look up to him. He's been recognized so 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 often. And you have, and, and you know, I've said this. I wish I could have uh, a hundred of of, of of this officer Tommy, who yeah is just so well known in in North Little Rock. But that that is right. what community policing is about. And yes. and it doesn't make any difference if you're if you're white, black, Latino, or what, whatever race you are. You, Vera, you put on this badge and this uniform. You should really uphold those values of protecting and serving, yes. and and really yes. having empathy for people and understanding that people are dealing with a lot of stuff and as. Police officers are dealing with a lot of stuff because outside of that badge and uniform here, you're just another, you're just an average citizen. So yeah, people got to understand. Yeah, people got to understand there that and you they go have, through, and they have family. Yeah, These exactly. officers have families that love them and care for them. They don't want to hear that stuff about them. You know, if they're yeah. doing the right thing, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, hey, but hey, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Virgil, if I could just add, just throw this in to, uh, to the two of you, and I, I, I certainly respect, and you know me, I certainly respect um, everything uh, about this broadcast, everything that you guys have said. I, I, I just want to make sure that we're very clear that a lot of this whole um, conversation of the defunding the police, we have to be very careful where that comes from. Um, I come from the project's of north i know what it is uh to have um situations happen um i've said on your broadcast and even on mine virgil uh that i believe in good policing black people want uh safe and everything else under the sun so we 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 definitely want to make sure we want to make sure that wherever those quote unquote terms of defund the police. We want to make sure where that's coming from because that's a lot of talking points from other areas. It certainly ain't coming yeah. from black communities because we do we don't want yeah. to defund the police. We no. want the police. 
Chief Chief yeah. Bluffley, yes. Chief Green. You know what I'm saying? Yes. We want us yes. we want the real police coming in there doing the thing. So we have to make sure we're careful with that term defunded police. It ain't really coming from us. It's coming from the, all nope. that talking points that wants to get rid of the two of you that are really trying to stand up right. for justice and doing the right thing. So I just want to make I just yeah. want to throw that in so you know people know that That's you know we we gotta make sure it's coming from the right place. You know when that that yeah. term That's comes or the wrong place when that term comes up. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah you definitely make point. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because again. Uh, there are so many communities that are under, you know, and I, when you use the word under police, I think it's it because, say, if you come home at, at 7 o'clock and your house has been broken into, and here it is, you know, 9 o'clock before a police officer gets there to, to take a report, you know, mm-hmm. those are things where we talk about being underserved because that agency yeah. had to lose some positions because of, of everything else. So that impacts the black community more than anybody yeah. and so you, yeah. you you know again the the black community wants good policing they want to build relationship with their police officers but and i have to say this before we before we go Vera, i think people if police officers really understood the black community is one of the most forgiving communities there are yeah. Yeah. And and yes, black people will welcome you into their home, welcome you into their backyard for their cookout. But it's it has to start with the police officers opening their minds up and understanding that hey, I may not live in your community, I may patrol in your community, but let me get mm-hmm. to know you. And so yes. when you get to know when you get to know me and I get to know you, those are those those stepping stones that we build to have better uh, partnerships with, with our police and with our churches mm-hmm. and with everybody that lives in those communities. Yeah, and we can so, start moving from that trauma to trust. Yes, you know, exactly, it's take exactly. Each, each one, each one, reach one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so hey, Vera, and I, Vera, I definitely thank you for calling in and, and joining oh, in uh, the conversation with me and, 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 and Chief Humphrey. It's always a pleasure to, to talk with you. We're going to have to get you back on the show because you, you okay, bring a lot I, of I knowledge it. and value. <laughs> okay. Well, I love <laughs> what right. you guys are doing. I was enjoying the show. But uh, thank you. Always an excellent job on every, uh, every week. You guys do a great job. All right. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you, Vera. All right. Okay. You have a good evening thank now. Okay. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Well, hey, uh, all right. Well, hey, we've kind of went over our time, and, and we definitely appreciate our producer for letting us go over. But this has been a great show, and we want to remind you that if you miss any parts of this show, please go to uh, the Bachelor, the Bachelor com to listen to the rebroadcast of this show and all the other previous shows of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. But remind, we want to remind you that we're going to be talking about, uh, throughout the month of May, uh, mental health awareness and, and, the, and the traumas that, that goes on between the police and the black community. So definitely stay tuned. We're going to have some guests coming on uh, and, and sharing their professional opinion about things that's going on with mental health and uh Definitely go to our Facebook page and like our Facebook page at You and the Law One. Leave your comments and let us know what's on your mind. 
And uh, but hopefully you, uh, everyone will tune back in uh, for another exciting show of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Share it, it's real inside our hearts. 
further Because I'm right here And I'm ready To do all the things you may not do Tell me what kind of man Would treat his woman so cold Treat you like you're nothing When you're worth more than gold Girl to me you're like a diamond I love the way you shine A hundred million dollar treasure I give the world to make you mine I'll put a string of pearls right in your hand Make love on a beach of just black sand Out right in the rain We can do it all night I'll touch all the places he was not Never knew what gets you high Nothing is forbidden when we touch Baby, I wanna do all of the things you may want to do I do them for you Oh, Baby, I wanna do it
waiting with my sex machine I won't stop until I hear your mother scream I wanna do, yeah
Love to do that was me. 